Listen, I know it's just the first start of his career, and I don't know if Drake May is ever going to do anything historic like his brother Luke hitting a shot to send Carolina to the Final Four. But man, after one game, I got to say, Coach Mac Brown, you made the right call. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Monday, August 29th, 2022. The Tar Heels are 1-0. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen or your first watch every single day. Please don't forget that we are free and available anywhere you get podcasts, so please subscribe right now so that you don't miss a second of your team every day. And for those of you watching, it'd be great if you would smash the like button. And then as we talk about this game, we'd love to hear your thoughts about all of it and how things went. Here's how we're going to do our game recaps from football games. Every time, first segment is going to be just some big picture takeaways. We'll have several of those. Segment two will be the three game-changing plays of the game and my shady stat of the game. Oh, yes, you know it's back. And then the last segment of our game recaps will be the three players of the game where I'll pick out three players and let you know why I think they were the players of the game. So let's start with big-picture takeaways. I said all this week leading up to this, and I want to say it one more time right now just to keep hammering it into all our heads. It's just a reminder to not get too high or not to get too low from anything that happened yesterday. All due respect, and I mean that very seriously to Florida A&M. They are a great FCS football team, and Jeremy Musa, their quarterback, is a dude. But it not only are you playing an FCS opponent, it's the first game of the season. You're working in a lot of new people. You're working in new coaches. Just there's a lot of first gaminess to it. That means we shouldn't read too much into anything, no matter how high or too low. Um, so sure, we learned some things and we're going to talk about that. But we're going to learn a lot more about what this team is or isn't next Saturday in Boone, North Carolina. So nothing is as good or as bad as it currently may seem. There's some things that might be those extremes, but the truth is probably somewhere in between. And, and let's just say right off the top, you have to feel bad for Florida AM and everything they went through leading up to this game. Um, I think it just shows, there's a lot of things it shows. That's another time for another conversation. But um, honestly, they availed themselves well, given what they had, given the shorthandedness. And so um, props to them. And it was great, as always, to get to hear the Rattler band. So um, in, in any game that, especially a season opener and a season opener against, just frankly, an inferior opponent, there are three things you want to happen. You want to win, you want to come out healthy, and you want to have teachable moments. Well, number one, check mark achieved. Number two, Uh, I mean, there weren't any seemingly big catastrophic injuries. Uh, The the secondary did lose Tony Grimes early in the game to what appeared to be a concussion. Um, They ruled it as an upper body injury, but I I think we'll find that out. So no word yet on if he will be ready to go for next week. We'll find that out as the week unfolds. And then uh, Josh Downs' ankle got rolled up on as he caught 
a touchdown. So we'll have to keep tabs on that because given the way he plays as a slot receiver, really needs to be able to make cuts and do all of that stuff. And then three, yeah, there were absolutely teachable moments on both sides of the ball and special teams. And as you would expect in game one. And so I think you're walking away from game one in week zero with those three things that you want a win, relative health and teachable moments. So what were some of those things we learned? Well, I know all the hype Drake May is, is where we want to spend a lot of time and we're going to get to him in a little bit. So let's just talk about some other things first so that we can not just drool over Drake May the whole time. Because there's going to be some times where we're not going to want to drool over Drake May. He's going to make mistakes. He's very young. So here's where I want to start. We got some dudes for the North Carolina Tar Heels at the running back position. Obviously, the Tar Heels lost British Brooks. Very sad, very unfortunate. But thankfully, this is one of the deepest position rooms on the team. You've got five other running backs that the coaching staff is looking at with a legitimate shot to work into what they would like to be a three-back rotation. And so those people are uh, Mr. DJ Jones, who st started yesterday along with Caleb Hood, true freshman Omari and Hampton, true freshman George Petaway, and Elijah Green. Coming into yesterday's game, DJ Jones is your starter. Let me give you what I think the depth chart, I don't know if I'm going to say will be going into week two, but I'm going to tell you this is where I saw the depth, the running back depth chart at yesterday in this game. Number one, Omari on Hampton. This dude is legit. Uh, number two, George Petaway. Yeah. Both true freshmen, I'm moving them right up to the top of the heap. They showed me that much. We'll have to see with pass pro. Obviously, that's a lot of times where freshmen fail the test, so let's be watching that. Number three, Caleb Hood. Number four, I'm moving DJ Jones, DJ Jones down from one to four, and then five, Elijah Green. Would love to hear your thoughts on what you think should be the depth chart for the running backs. But Hampton paced the group with the most carries, 14, the most yards, over 100, and two touchdowns. Love to see that from your two young freshman guys. Uh, next thing, you got to get the secondary healthy. Um, obviously, as I said, lost Tony Grimes. Ohio State transfer legend Cavazos was already out, has been out for a while. And so your secondary does not have the dudes fully that you want it to. Thankfully, the Tar Heels have been working at developing depth. And so that's growing. But it's got to get there, got to get healthy on that side of the ball. Speaking of which, uh, I think for a lot of people, the the takeaway of what needed most work last night was the defense. The the offense took a little bit of time to get going, but then it was rolling, scored a ton of points, um, and, and then it was the defense that people were pointing at. I think looking at there there were several holes in the secondary a lot of time, um, even on even on incompletions, there were guys open and just didn't get hit. Um, yes, some of that is going to be on the secondary. Some of that is going to be on Gene Chizik's calling a football game for the first time in five years or whatever it is. But also the biggest place that Florida A&M took a hit with their players that were ineligible was on the offensive line. And so I think they were really working at trying to mitigate that weakness by just getting the ball out as quick as they could. Now they're, they are a fast team that plays fast anyway, but all the more so, I think they're just going and trying to do what they can to mitigate that shorthanded offensive line. Now, in that scenario, I want to see the secondary push up more and, and try to get a little more press going and things like that. But 
hey, again, it's week one and we learn from those things. And hopefully the defensive line will be able to start really getting that push and we'll have to watch and see how all that goes as, as players like true freshman Travis Shaw hopefully get more time. He got in last night and, and you can only imagine he's going to get more and more and more snaps as the season goes on. Another big picture takeaway for me was the tight end involvement. We had been told all offseason that we would see all three involved in, in the passing game, and that's um, Kamari Morales, Bryson Nesbitt, and John Copenhaver. And all three of them legitimately were. All three had at least two receptions, and both Morales and Nesbitt had a touchdown. And so uh, you, you love to see that. You love to see how Drake May is spreading the ball around. Those three guys plus seven other receivers, 10 total receivers had a catch. That's a wonderful thing. So I'm really curious to see how Coach Longo will continue to utilize and lean on those tight ends with his young quarterback. A couple things that Coach Mac Brown pointed out post-game, something that he really loved was the ability to turn turnovers into points. We know that creating turnovers is something that Carolina has struggled with in the past couple of years. And so we're all looking to see how can the defense, um, even if you give a little bit, can you ultimately get some takeaways? And they got two, almost a third, um, and really almost a fourth, if we think about it. Storm Duck almost had a pick six on the first series of the game, couldn't hold on to it. But then eventually he had a pick. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. And um, there was a fumble. And here's the later that was recovered. Here's the big thing about both of those. Both of those turnovers, Carolina turned into seven points each for a total of 14 points off of turnovers. Not only did they do that, but they did it quickly. Storm Duck's interception was with 31 seconds left before halftime. Five plays later, Carolina's in the end zone in 26 seconds. One of those five plays, by the way, was a spike. So really four plays and you're in the end zone. The other one off the fumble recovery, one play later and uh, Josh Downs is in the end zone. So very quick points scored off of those turnovers. You love, again, to see all of those things. Now, not only did Drake May spread the ball around in, in whom he was throwing to, threw to all different parts of the field, really spread it around to the left, to the right, to the middle, and six different Tar Heels scored a touchdown either by land or by air um, by, through the, uh, passing or running. And so Morales and Nesbitt, we already named, um, Blackwell had a touchdown reception. George Petaway had a touchdown run. Josh Downs had two and Omarion Hampton had two. And so you love seeing the ability to score from lots of different people. That's great stuff. Um, additionally, a just a couple other big picture takeaways. Something that was really big for Carolina was scoring right before and after halftime. You love when you are getting the ball after halftime to score right before it and score right after it. Coach Brown talked about that post game. What a big deal. He thought that that was, and I'll say more about it in a minute as well, but just want to highlight Carolina's ability to do that. For game one, you expect a lot of penalties, a lot of miscues. Tar Heels had just five penalties for 45 yards. So, so for game one, you love that. You're you're pleased with that. Obviously, you want to keep cleaning it up and you'd love to have zero, but hey, five is a good number for game one. And then the final thing I want to point out in the big picture takeaways is this. While Carolina had two takeaways, they didn't turn the ball over at all. With a redshirt freshman quarterback, keep that in mind, Drake May is making good decisions. We're going to talk about him more. That's my big picture takeaways. Next, I want to let you know what I think were the three plays that changed this game. And oh yeah, my first shady stat of the game 
for this season. But first, let me tell you uh, about a little PSA from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Are you one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stoned? Well, what's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit? No big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Talk about being a buzzkill, right? <laughs> Stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've ever been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high and get a DUI. So I've got for you what I believe were the three game-changing plays from last night's game. I'm going to start with what I think was the biggest one and work my way down. The biggest one, honestly, for me, we've already touched on it briefly, was Storm Duck's interception. And I use this one as what I think was the biggest play of the game for a multitude of reasons. Number one, Florida a was picking on him a little bit right out of the gate. Went his way, uh, I believe it was each of the first three plays of the game. And then on third down to get off the field, they went his way again. That was that almost pick six I mentioned a little bit ago that, man, I really thought he should have had that ball, frankly. But still, you get the punt and then you get the ball and you're going. But um, just that's how things started. And then we get to what was Duck's interception. At this point, Florida A&M has just scored to make it 21-14. I mean, this is a close game at this point. It's almost halftime. You're expecting Carolina would be up really big. Carolina goes into a two-minute drill, and you're thinking, oh, great. Drake May's first two-minute drill as a starter. Get to see what he does. But Carolina got behind the sticks thanks to a holding penalty um, from Monolis, and then they had to punt. So it's like, dude, Florida A&M could tie this game going into halftime. But two plays later, Mr. Storm Duck goes up, gets this pick, 31 seconds left. As I've already talked about, Carolina proceeds to score in five plays and then score again after halftime. So courtesy of Duck's interception, he changes from what could have been a 21 all game at halftime if Florida and A&M had gone down and scored again into a 35 to 14 game in Carolina's favor, just a couple minutes into the third quarter, all because Duck made a big game changing play. That's my first one. Here's my second game changing play. And it's something Drake made it. Now, you probably think I'm going to say his 42 yard run. And that was a phenomenal run, a great play, other than get down, get out of bounds, whatever you got to do. Because it seemed like he really settled in after that. But I want to highlight a different play, and here's why. I think this play, there are many, but this one for me singularly did this, showed the poise and awareness that he already has as a red shirt freshman. All right, this is Carolina's third offensive series. It's near the end of the first quarter. Um, at this point, it's tie game, 7-7, seven to seven, Carolina ball at the FAMU 35, a minute 10 to go. And you're getting into this scenario and you're thinking, oh man, it's the end of my first quarter. Maybe you're getting jumpy because you're in the opponent's territory. You're thinking, man, we can score again, take a lead into the second quarter, whatever it may be. But no, Drake May is cool, calm, and collected. He is a dude that you want on your side paving the way. 
Florida A&M's cornerback off to Drake May's right kind of tips his hand that he's bringing a blitz hard, like he is coming. Gavin Blackwell's out there on the perimeter, gets a little hand waggle into Drake May to let him know what's coming. May either notices the hand wave or notices the movement from the quarter, cornerback from his periphery and immediately sees the blitz coming, boom, turns, fires to Blackwell. The safety can't get over in time, and Blackwell picks up 12 yards. Now you're on the edge of the red zone, and guess what? Bryson Nesbitt touchdown, or was it Nesbitt? Sorry, let me look back at my notes here. Yes, Bryson Nesbitt touchdown on the next play. So Drake May's cool demeanor, his ability to just settle in, see what's happening with the defense, get a good pre-snap read, sees what's happening over here to his right, gets it out to Blackwell, gets Carolina down nearly into the red zone, and then scores one play later. This dude is a dude. All right, love it. Third and final game-changing play for me. Now, it's going to be a running back, and it's a little another switch for me where you probably think I'm going to talk about Omari on Hampton, and that's where all the love is going. So I just want to point to his classmate, fellow freshman George Petaway, because these dudes are both uber-talented. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, but... Man, I saw a vision last night of this could be the next Michael Carter and Javante Williams just tag teaming the duties back here, tapping each other in and out when it's time to switch. Now, again, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that could be a real thing. All right, heels are up 11 starting the fourth quarter. Some real game pressure here. It's 35-24. Omarion Hampton getting all his headlines. That's great. Um Petaway has a run to get Carolina comfortably past midfield uh, from like the 47 up to like the 35 or something like that. Drake next play, Drake may quarterback keeper slides and Carolina's on the AM 29 yard line. Another handoff to our guy, George Petaway. Interestingly, Bryson Nesbitt is in the backfield with him. May off to the left is Bryson Nesbitt off to his right is George Petaway. <clears throat> Nesbitt goes and clears a block out and then Petaway is on his way. And this dude is making fierce cuts. The first big cut just plants that foot and is gone the other direction. Has another little more shifty cut, a little uh, about five more yards downfield, but in so doing blows through three would-be tacklers and then outruns three more Florida A&M defenders to the end zone. He's kind of tackled into the end zone. But it, for me, was just this run, again, in the fourth quarter to give Carolina some breathing room that they needed up to 42-24 at that point. Not only did what Carolina needed to, to help um, grow the margin, the, the leading margin, but also showed like, hey, Omarion Hampton, awesome. Look out. I'm coming as well, and I'm going to be a dude too. So George Petaway, love that. That is my third game-changing play of the game. Okay, friends, you know what time it is. It's time for the shady stat of the game. After every Carolina football game and men's basketball game, I give you my shady stat of the game. It's my last name. It just makes sense. And there we go. You ready for this? Zero sacks allowed by the offensive line. Yeah, that's right. Now, contextually, you might think, okay, great. How often does that happen? Well, let's go back and take a look. Last season, 2021, every game last season, all 13 of them, Carolina allowed at least one sack. In fact, 
in multiple game in in 10 of the 13 games last season carolina allowed multiple sacks at least two or more and in nine of the 13 games carolina allowed at least three sacks including a season high eight to georgia tech yeah there was no game last season with zero sacks allowed let's look back at 2020 then remember there were only 12 games that year because of covid but every one of them carolina allowed at least one sack and multiple sacks in eight of 12 games so Every game in 2021, every game in 2020, you got to go back to the bowl game, the military bowl against Temple to end the 2019 season to see the last time Carolina didn't allow a sack. In fact, they did it two of the final three games that season. That's super impressive. But regardless of opponent, to begin a season with a new offensive line, a new offensive line coach, a new very young quarterback and not give up uh, a sack, that's telling me something. That's impressive. Oh, and by the way, they paved the way for 319 rushing yards. Now, are they going to go to Boone and not allow a sack next week again, Appalachian State? I would hope not. That'd be awesome. But that just doesn't seem realistic. However, you love to see the start, and you can't wait to see how the offensive line continues to perform going forward. Okay, let me take off the shades for the shady stat of the game. Can't wait to bring that to you each week. And we'll end by talking about my three players of the game. And I've avoided talking about him, but now we have to. Drake May. Redshirt freshman Drake May wins out, is named starting quarterback QB1 last week, early in the week, over Jacoby Criswell. Comes in and does, honestly, blew away my expectations for what he would do. Is he exactly like Sam Howell doing what Sam Howell does? No. I thought he took fewer downfield shots. I thought he was more calculated, like carving up the defense a little more, um, going through his progressions, just finding the right guys at the right time, moving the pocket when he needed to, getting out of the pocket when he needed to. Um, yes, there are things to work on. There's footwork things sometimes. He himself talked about on that big 42-yard run, man, I had the ball in the wrong hand. I got to get out of bounds. There was that play near the end zone where he almost scored that he went flying through the air. I love the moxie of that. I love him getting out and going. But I don't want that from QB1. Now, thankfully, he can take some of those risks because you got Jacoby Criswell sitting on the bench, and that's great. But, man, the again, the poise that he showed, I, I was super impressed. Now, can he do that next weekend in Boone, North Carolina for a noon game with a crazy, raucous atmosphere? We'll find out going to be very interesting. But here's the thing for me. If I'm Mac Brown, I am riding this guy. I hate that for Jacoby Criswell. I would love to see him get in and, and have more time. But Drake May showed me everything I need to say, dude, this is the guy. I'm on board the Drake May train. Don't flip-flop. Stick with Drake May. If this is the guy we're going to get week in and week out, stick with it. Number two player of the game for me. Let's go on the other side of the ball. Power Eccles, which, by the way, I love that name. What a rad name for a linebacker to have. Now, Cedric Gray is the guy. He's the leader of this defense, along with Ray Vahasek, too, just um, veterans of the defense. But remember, this time last year, Cedric Gray wasn't a starter. He came in, took over the starting role from Eugene Asante alongside... <clears throat> Jeremiah Gimmel, excuse me, um, 
and and so he's going to continue to be the guy this year. But we've got these two linebackers. Remember, it's a four-two-five scheme under Gene Chizik. So these two linebackers, Cedric Gray, Power Eccles. And let me tell you, I just had, I just found myself just watching Power Eccles last night. Where is he? What's he doing? What side of the ball he's on? Led the team in tackles with 10, nine of which were solo tackles. That's awesome. Like a lot of times you'll be like, oh man, he had 15 tackles, but four of them were solos and 11 were assists. Love that he's out there making plays on his own. Two tackles for loss, a sack. And I think most impressively is he's just popping dudes, right? Like out there making plays. So I'm going to be excited to continue watching Power Eccles. Love that they've got this uber quick backup behind the two guys in Ra Ra Dilworth. Lots of fun stuff there. My third player of the game, and this one's a little bit out of left field, but I want to give some love to that offensive line that we were just talking about not allowing any sacks, and that is Miami transfer and center Corey Gaynor. Now, why him? Well, we've already talked about no sacks allowed last night, um, or on excuse me, on Saturday, 319 rushing yards paved for that offensive line. Love seeing those backs getting out and doing what they're doing. It's several things about Gainer that want me to give him this opportunity. We just talked about Drake May's poise and calm and demeanor. I think a lot of that could be attributed to his experienced center coming over from Miami, just being cool, calm, and relaxed himself and saying, hey, buddy, you got this. You can do it. You, If you watch the sideline, he was in Drake May's ear in a really good way all night long, just reassuring him, reminding him of the things he's doing. Uh, you can see him interacting with teammates. All the word we're getting from the locker room is that he's done a great job assimilating himself into this team to the point where he's considered one of the leaders already, even though he just transferred in. The guys uh, clearly appreciate and love and respect the leadership and the capability that Corey Gaynor is bringing to this team and specifically to the offensive line. Also, it seems like he's got a little bit of some swagger to him. Mac Brown told this story after the game last night that as he was walking out to be interviewed on the ACC Network set after the game, Gaynor stopped him and said, hey, coach, did you know I never lost in this stadium? Meaning, obviously, he won last night, but uh, there were some other times when uh, he won in that stadium as well. And you just love like a young man's willingness to give it to his head coach like that in a respectful way. And, and clearly coach Brown thought it was funny and all that. And so I, I just love little things like that and see what he's doing. And so keep watching Corey Gaynor, see how his presence brings life, but also calm to this team, especially to this offensive line that is looking to grow from frankly, what was a year when they didn't do what everyone hoped and expected they would last year. That's my three players of the game. Drake May, Drake May is a center, uh, Mr. Corey Gaynor, and then Power Eccles just blowing people up from that linebacker spot on the other side of the ball. Before we get out of here, we got to wish one more time Coach Mac Brown a happy birthday. Also celebrating a birthday yesterday, his 40th, the big 4-0, our guy that's been on the show before, Mr. Brian Chacos, uh, former offensive lineman from Carolina himself, now works for the Rams Club. Hope it was a great day brother. And uh, you can always remember that you're 31 years behind Coach Brown. If you're getting old, he's getting older. <laughs> it's all awesome. 
Friends, that's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. What a great way to begin the week with a victory. And you better believe throughout the week, we're going to be unpacking some things about App State, including on Friday will be our big game preview for that. On Wednesday, Coach Pat Kilby and I are talking about the Biscuit Boys, the Carolina basketball walk-ons. That should be a lot of fun. Thanks again for tuning in with us to start your week. I hope you had a great weekend. Hope you have a great day uh, today throughout your Monday. Please don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels. You can follow me on Twitter at Isaac Shade. Please subscribe to the show. Smash the like button. Leave some comments if you didn't already about this opening week performance for the Tar Heels. Get more on the ACC and what else is going on by making Locked on ACC your second listen of the day. Host Candace Cooper and the local experts of Locked on take you around the conference in 30 minutes five days a week. Hey, y'all. It is a great day to be a Tar Heel. And you know what? Until tomorrow, peace! <laughs>